All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. In a minute, I have uh, I have Bob Odenkirk here in the garage, and I have Dave Cross on the phone to talk about their uh, recent uh, uh, Mr. Show-like Netflix adventure that's up uh, four episodes of that are up. with a, I think it's just called With Bob and David. It's uh, streaming on Netflix. You can watch all the episodes. There's also, I believe, an hour-long making-of special directed by Lance Bangs, who directs everything. Everything that we're all involved in on in this little world of alt and, and other things. Him or, him or Bobcat. But, uh, yeah, I'll talk to Bob and David in here in a second. Ira Kaplan, the Ira Kaplan from the seminal alt-rock band Yola Tango here momentarily. He'll be here. I've been meaning to talk to Ira for a while, or he's been meaning to talk to me. We had some stuff to work out. There was a, not bad blood, but yeah, I was. A, I think I, I uh, was a little hard on him a little bit. I've known him a long time, but not well. We've been in the same circles for a bit. Uh, I need to tell you, uh, you don't already know this. You do know it. Thursday's Thanksgiving. So on that day, we will be running a live WTF that I did at PodFest with Radio Legends Fraser Smith and Jim Ladd talking to the old timers, the broadcasters, the guys who without which this would not be possible. You got to pay your respects to the dudes that did it for reals on the terrestrial legends. Jim Ladd still on series. Fraser Smith still on the air here in terrestrial also doing stand up. But uh, Jim Ladd, a uh, an important uh, voice in radio uh, through the 70s and 80s and 90s to this day. So that's exciting, but I won't be talking to you directly on Thanksgiving. And generally, I, I talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. Well, here's what's going on with me. So I know we're leading to the holidays, but here's one thing I never quite pick up on. And I don't know if you get this, but every year, like a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, I start feeling irritable. I start getting snappy. I start you know, just kind of losing it a little at my friends and at strangers in my car. I mean, I do that anyways, but I can't quite put my finger on it. You, you know, I feel like sort of like I'm not grounded. I'm a little fucked up in the head and I never know what it is at first. And then like a few days before I go to my mother's for Thanksgiving, it fucking hits me the realization that like, oh, of course, this is the beginning of it. This is the beginning of the family holidays for a lot of us. I mean, some of us do Thanksgiving, some of us don't, some of us do Christmas, whatever. This is it. So, of course, I'm feeling a little squirrely because what's happening is my inner self is preparing or resisting going back to the source. That's it, to the source. Now, what, whatever it is, whoever's still alive in your life or whoever you spend time with, if it's parental, it's the source. And it's not just the biological source, but it's the emotional source, the psychological source, the metaphysical source, the philosophical source. It's all of it. It's the source of who we are. That's the weird thing, is that whatever shortcomings your parents had as a kid innately, you, you either you blamed yourself or you built some sort of uh, uh, sort of routine around it emotionally. And it's not a healthy thing, but that's what we go into life with. That's what we're given. All right. And some of us spend a lifetime trying to temper it, trying to manage it, trying to fix it, just to tweak those reactions and interactions. So as as not to become the worst part of our parents, it's just a reality after a certain point. I mean, I'm fucking 52 years old. I don't know how old you are when we have to go to the source, all that tempering and restraining and inner work that we may have done our entire life is threatened. It's it, 
So it's freaking out. So before you got to go, of course, you're like, oh, God, what's the matter with me? Well, you're going, you're going to go deal. And we innately know that the only person or people that can crumble the structure that we have built in resistance, although temporarily, the only ones that can do it, the, the, that can just sort of within seconds just break through the walls of our little castles, our little emotional fortresses. The only people that can do that is our family. They'll just do it without knowing they're doing it because they need to do it because they want to connect with that part of you that used to react. And you might do it. You might react. You, 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 by the end of it, usually I do, at least once. Yeah, I hold off for a couple of days and then just boom. I turn into the fucking horrible child or whatever I was, the angry child. Well, it, it'll happen sometimes just for 30 seconds and I'll, and I'll grab it. I'll fucking, you know, Pull back, but it'll happen, but might not happen. Doesn't have to happen. Because here, here's what I'm I'm starting to realize, and I'll share that I'll share this with you. Maybe it'll make sense. Maybe it won't. It's temporary. Whatever's going to happen down there is temporary, and you just have to sort of fortify. You know, just just know what's going to happen. You know, know you're going to get down there. All your buttons are going to be pushed. You know that that one dish they make that you don't like, they're going to make it again. That one person, that cousin, that brother, that aunt, that uncle, that mother, that father, they're going to be there. It's going to yeah, it, it they're going to trigger you, man. And here's what I'm going to try to do. Maybe you can do it too. Now, look, I, I get along with my mom, and we're doing all right. But here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to find the, the, the good side, all right? Because we're fucking older and the bottom line is they can't hurt us like they used to because they're older. So maybe it might be time to start appreciating that, that they won't be around forever. I mean, we might not. Who the hell knows who's going to go first? Some of you have already lost parents and that, that, that absence is powerful and horrible and sad. But the, the bottom line is there's, there's usually some good points to these people because we have those too. We, I mean, we, we got the good stuff too. So, so let's, why don't we focus on that? Can we do that together? Let's try to focus on the good sides of ourselves and maybe, you know, uh, to pay a little homage to our folks for, for giving us those good ones. Maybe if it's just a sliver, but, but still, let's try to focus on that. Let's try to find that love that was once pure, that we had for our parents and for our family and maybe tap tap into that a little bit if it's not too scary and it won't leave us too vulnerable. And, and, I, and here, here's the bottom line. For your own and everyone else's benefit, have a fucking sense of humor about it all, all right? They can't hurt us anymore. It's just gonna be annoying. And we're gonna maybe see part of us that we don't like, but let's try to laugh at it, right? They can't, they can't hurt us anymore, right? Right? They can't, right? I mean, seriously, they can't, right? Right? It's going to be okay. And I think above all else, what we have to remember is that uh, we are all fragile. And as we get older, we're even, we're even more fragile in many ways. And I think that if you can't respect them as people, let's try to respect the fragility of the physical and emotional situation we're about to enter and, and eat some good food. Or complain about food that you're tired of. Whatever you're gonna do, let's just let's just try to do it, okay? Let's just we can do it. Okay, we can do it. All right. All right, so now this was fun. 
Because, uh, you know, Bob and David reached out to me. They had the thing and they wanted me to maybe hang out and talk a little bit about the thing. But it's always good to see them because we all started out together. And I and I'm, I was happy. Bob makes me nervous. David was on the phone. Bob was sitting right in front of me, making me nervous. So, again, uh, the sketch show with Bob and David is streaming on Netflix. And you can watch all the episodes. There's an hour-long making-of special directed by the uh, one and only Lance Bangs. But, like, right now, let's hang out with me and Bob Odenkirk and David Cross on the phone. Can you hear me, Dave? Hey, man. It's really faint. I, I, uh, I can barely hear you guys. How about now? Can you hear us now? Yes, that's great. Yes. Uh, oh, good. Yes, oh, it was great. one button. There's Dolby. He needed to press the Dolby button. Can you hear Bob? Uh, I can. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you have a, uh, any kind of button there that'll improve his jokes? Oh, this is already starting. <laughs> well, that would be the David Cross button. <laughs> that is exactly the kind of excitement and energy I wanted from you two. <laughs> uh, Bob, let me let me try to set it up. Bob Odenkirk is here, and David Cross is on the phone, and I'm here to mediate some sort of friendship problem. No, uh, no, dude, but Good Mark, luck. not drag us into your fucking nightmare of a world. Come on now. <laughs> That's the whole point of this podcast. All right. Wait, it's for Mark to drag people into his nightmare world. <laughs> I, Mark, I, did you? I got to um, talk to you. Yeah, I've, I've recently read that you interviewed Lorne. I interviewed Lorne. Did he come to your garage? No, I had to go to him. Oh. I went to the SNL. Yeah. Uh, but he did uh, want to sit with me twice. I did two hours. All my questions twice. were answered. The issues. He wanted yeah. to sit with you twice. Yeah, I didn't, what do you think? Well, he had to do it? He didn't have to do it. I went over there, and it was a Monday night, and we talked for an hour, and then he had to go to dinner. He said, well, I'm still in town. I mean, if you want to come back, come back tomorrow. And I went back the next night, and we sat for an hour. And then 15 minutes after we turned off the recorders, we talked about things. I, I mean, I could probably call him right now. You want to hang up on Dave and get Lauren on? <laughs> wow. <laughs> what were you expecting, Bob? Were you, were you, I, look, Did I, you seriously ask him if he remembered you, meeting you? We went before? beat for beat through the entire story as I remembered and it. Did, seeking, he, did he say, remind me again? No, I walked remind in and he said, uh, you've been here before. It's the scene of the crime. What? What's the crime? I have to listen. Where'd you just come from? What's with the, what are, you, what are you cranky about? What are you turning it on me for? No, no, no. It's just <laughs> hilarious to read that you asked him about meeting you. I, the whole, for a half an hour. And he remembered. He remembered really? and he addressed every one of my issues and we, I, we left friends. That's you know, amazing. I, I'm so no, that, that's virtually impossible. You, you can't, uh, uh in a lifetime address every one of your issues mark well that's <laughs> the specific ones with lauren he did all right with i by the time i got there i wasn't as angry as i used to be you know I, but i did tell him at the end that i was available to audition again uh if if need be well what did you guys do you made more things yeah we made more uh four more yeah. half hours uh for netflix we did make them for netflix yeah because I saw a billboard on Sunset yeah. near, right near where my billboard is for my uh, upcoming yeah. uh, special you know, on Epics. Isn't there a special club we're all in now? Yes, we're in the Sunset Billboard Club. You guys are... <laughs> oh, you know who I had in here yesterday? Dave Todd Haynes, who spoke highly of your Alan Ginsberg for him. He got oh, a new, God, new that guy was awesome. I, 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 you know, I knew very little about him except for his work, um, and he could not have been a cooler, more down-to-earth, unpretentious, awesome guy. He, he's, he was 
fantastic. I think he's a genius. Has he got a new movie coming out? Yeah, Carol. It's called Carol. Carol, Yeah, Yeah. it it was stunning. That movie. It made me cry. It's a love story. It was deep. Do you cry, Bob? Yeah, you know, you got to die for me to cry. (laughs) So now, I I don't cry a lot, but you sure? I I do, man. I do more than I used to. Me too, dude. Is it our age? What the fuck is happening? Yes, you're getting old, and you're. The pipes are cracking. <laughs> there's, there's... I'm a, but I'm a, uh, and this is a real thing. Um, it sounds like a joke, but I'm an airport, airplane crier uh, as well. I can, if I have a few drinks, and uh, I noticed this start about 15 years ago when I was tearing up at a trailer for Angels in the Outfield 2. Oh, my God. Yeah, you got it bad. Yeah. What? Yeah. Where I'm not were joking. you? That was. I know. I believe you. Like if a, yeah, if a commercial is solid, you know, and has a, a good punch at the end, where you know the guy gets the medicine or whatever, yeah. or the house gets built. I'm very sad, moved, but I don't think um, it's a. I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, that's a real thing. Uh, airplane, you know, uh, when you're up at a certain altitude, and uh, it's a it's a real thing. I will tear up listening to a, you know, a cat power song or something. Nice. It's ridiculous. Bob, when was the last and I'm time? I'm embarrassed. No, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. I'm, I guess I'm always in airplane mode. I last time I cried, uh, I was trying to fix the oven. <laughs> I couldn't get the goddamn knob to go on there, and it was just like, just end it now. And that this was the it. End of this fucking world. Wait, this you were whole you world. were trying to kill yourself though. That's the no, other no. Thing I just wanted the fucking to oven on. to go on. <laughs> now, whose idea was it to do more Mister Shows? They're not called Mr. Show. Wow. Anyway, the idea was both of ours to do something to celebrate the 20th anniversary of, of what? Of the first Mr. Show. Okay. And we were going to do a live tour. Yeah. And then we realized how fucking hard that is. Oh, yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And yeah. why not just make four new half hours with new comedy and then more people get to see it? And call it what? Because you go on tour, right? And sure. then people call you and go, Mark, when yeah. are you coming to my town? Yeah. And you go, I can't. I, or a was, week ago. I was just a there. Week ago. Yeah, I was there last night. Right, white, and white. they go, I never saw anything. You didn't see the ninety tweets yeah, in the Facebook right. post. That's right. And me uh, putting a flyer under exactly. your door. Yeah. So we yeah. decided just let's try to do some shows, and we didn't know what it would be. We knew it would be sketch comedy or at least something very silly. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were surprised that all the actors from uh, Mr. Show wanted to do it and could do it, and we were surprised that all the writers wanted to do it and could do it. So that was a shock, and we didn't expect it. Well, I think you underestimate the fact that that might have been the best times of their lives. I definitely underestimate that. Well, but it's I, also, I definitely not. a lot of these guys are extremely busy, you know, and they had to kind of clear their calendars and also, you know, uh, double up on their work in order to participate. But people were still very enthusiastic, and it was great. It was- and did everyone get along? Totally. Yeah. It was really yeah. fun. So People had so, their egos were so either built up or completely destroyed, decimated by the last 16 years <laughs> that there was none of that like, what about me? Uh-huh. I didn't get to do this. Right. My idea, you changed my idea. You know, people were really cool. People like Scott Ackerman and Paul Tompkins have produced and made their own stuff and had they're just they're done they did it and they're not all wrapped up in anything except making something fun and you brian know? was there posein was yeah mm-hmm. great he's got a kid so you yeah. know that he's got to work took a little stuffing out of him <laughs> and uh 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, so everyone was uh, happy and cooler and happy to be there. And I mean, people like Tom Kenny and Jill Talley, who are very busy people yeah. with jobs, it turned into more of a reunion than we ever intended it to be. But we're really happy with it. And for us, it's new comedy. And if we do more, and we'd like to do more, we just keep going down this road of whatever we want to do. It wouldn't necessarily be... Uh, even like what we just did. Oh, let me ask Dave, though. Dave, uh, Bob seems to be speaking for everybody. Did you actually want to be there? Yeah, no. We, we've uh, <laughs> there being um, LA. <laughs> we're we're at we're at the point where we can speak for each other because we've listened to each other uh, answer the same questions over and over again. So even if uh, you know Bob's doing an interview, he can say. You know, I mean, David felt this way, and I felt this way, and uh, but yeah, he he absolutely speaks. Okay, but I I mean, I know you're on the phone here. I didn't want you to just sit there nodding quietly. I speak nobody... truth. Wait, I wait, are you? Can you not see me? No, it's not working. Did you? What? Do you have a camera set up? Yeah, I have a <laughs> uh, an old Hasselblad camera, and I've been taking photos and then running down to have them developed. And I've got like I'm on my fifth one already. I and so it's not it's not working. You're not seeing the the photo. No, no, and I'd, I'd like to see a Hasselblad photo. That's like the two and a half by two and a half format, the square pictures. Yeah, it takes a while. Yeah. But, um, oh wait, here they come. I thought, here they come. Oh. This looks like you trying to work the camera. That's a good picture. Yeah. Okay. So you can see I'm 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 right. nodding. Well, but... I appreciate it. I appreciate you, you putting out the effort. It takes a lot of work to do that. But what's the uh, what's the format? Is it the same uh, format, same style, or is it? You just... know, we just it looks a little like Mr. Show, but it, if you watch it closely and you don't need to, please mm -hmm. uh, just enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't have the same structure as Mr. Show, but uh, but the sensibilities are there, and that's. 99% of yeah. what's going to It's a lot over. like it, Mark, because we're the same people. No, I understand that, but like, did did, did you wear Do you the... think that your comedy has changed over 16 years? Yes. Thank oh, God it has. Do you, re one. do you remember ever seeing me 16 years ago on I purpose? I feel like you're on purpose? better. I'm better, yeah. Yeah, people enjoy me now. Back then, it was hard for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not as easy for me to change because I was good back then. <laughs> <laughs> That, okay, that's so. I have a. That's true. You it, know, you could actually go the other way. It could get worse for you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was just going to say that you back. You know, because because Mark and I go back a, a, a long, long way, and um, and for so long like you what, were like thirty were, years, like, guys. You seriously? come on stage and you were just a force of like angry negativity. Uh huh. And you and you you know if we were all like a catch or something, and you go. You'd be talking, and you're like, oh, wow, all of a sudden I have a stomach ache. What? Oh, here's, oh, Marin's here. You know, and uh, you have uh, that ability. You had, had, H-A-D, past. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad that I, I've refocused those powers, because obviously I was powerful. Without without talking, I caused illness. And yeah, yeah, you could cause a stomach ache. Yeah. And you're like, what? I don't, yeah. I, I'm yeah. in perfect health. What's happening? Yep, it's me. 30 years, Bob. Is that what you're asking? 30 years, you me got, and David? Have you and David known each other for 30 I years? I probably met him over 30 years ago, which is even more crazy. That's weird. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. He was in college, uh, so that must have been, holy shit, it's over 30 years. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was only in college for really one year, like you a year and are older age, than really, me. So. Are we? <laughs> yeah, you've surpassed me. And Dave got married. Did you know that, Bob? What are you talking about? Bob Bob was the uh the fourth best man. Oh, that's sweet. 
I had 19 best men. What an honor. And Bob was number four. So, okay, so there are four episodes. All of There's the four. all the people that yeah. everyone loves are there. Yeah. Uh, the surprise of it all is Dave is not wearing cargo shorts, correct? That's the only difference. And I lost the endorsement deal characters. a couple years ago. So, yeah, I'm not wearing them. I'm back to what I normally wear, what I like to wear. I, I was forced into it with a stupid, dumb, naive, young decision to sign that contract. And... Um, it is an interesting That's question, not, though. When but we you look. are you are making a point, David, years ago by wearing the shorts, which is <laughs> I'm not going to dress up to be on TV. I live in L.A. Um, it's hot most of the but, day. But Bob, you, you you've known me for a long time now. Yeah. I, that's how I still dress. I dress no. for comfort. I don't dress for I, style. I, know, I don't but dress. You're doing a TV if, show. And I if if I live in a place uh, that nine months of the year is ninety plus degrees, I know. If I you don't want wear long it, pants. Do a reality show then, and wear the clothes you wear. Uh, listen, Grandpa. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm still trying to go back. I'm still fighting that argument. <laughs> That's like the first, the first thing we talked about. Was it really? You're going to wear shorts? <laughs> but yeah, but I know. But you, my argument was always, and this is kind of a uh, purposeful ar- argument. Mm-hmm. When people do this. David, pretend you can't hear us, or you can't talk, mm-hmm. but can hear us. <laughs> when people do such things as wear shorts on national TV for their show that mm. they've been waiting their whole life to get, they are making a choice as strong as wearing dressing sort of nice, you would say. Right. It's not like they're not trying and therefore being authentic. They are being, they're kind of going out of their way. Uh-huh. And it's in that way, it's sort of, I'm almost going to say, as inauthentic as putting on a tuxedo. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I understand that logic. You know what I'm saying, right? Sure, sure, that there was a, a, an aggressive resistance to doing what so is... So ex- aggressive that it takes more effort. It's. Are you still with us, Dave? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm reading my uh, report. <laughs> when, when, when Kick it in, I, I've made my point. I think Bob's done with his point. Well, let's let's. Uh, it actually let's took no time and caused no argument. Anything you choose it, from yeah. your wardrobe is a choice. You've That's made right. a choice. That's right. Whether to to not uh, right. be colorful or to uh, not bare skin or to uh, dress with a certain style from a certain decade. Right. Uh, it's all. Everything's a choice. Um, the only the only time it becomes an issue is when you're up against uh, the kind of uh, reasoning that says, "Hey, you shouldn't wear that. You should wear things that don't. Uh, I don't notice." And the the how how benign is it to wear shorts? I mean, of all the choices you can make, that's really not that. I'm glad you are. I I'll be honest. I think it's wonderful <laughs> and hilarious. It makes a great stage picture, and uh, and basically you're looking at two guys, and you're saying to yourself. Oh, one of them cares, uh, and uh, and that's a wonderful thing. It's a hell of a comedy duo: cares and not cares. And uh, but we really but, should go a tour elementary school with our uh, with our message. <laughs> it's like goofus and gallant. Uh, yeah. Oh, and you're going to um, go on tour to comedy. I, I talked to uh, my. Uh, I think we have the same booking guy. You're going to go out and do some dates, right? Yes, I'm working stuff out now. I have been for a little while. Since I got this um, 
shoulder surgery a couple weeks ago. That's and that hilarious. Really That's hilarious. Are you gonna... alters. Oh. It is funny. And um, and it's it's called My Shoulder Surgery. It's a one-man show. That sounds great. And uh, Yeah, and it's about shoulder surgery uh, throughout the ages, and, and, uh, and it ties in with the suffragette, suffragette movement. Oh, good. So um, there's a feminist message. No, no. I, I approach it from the other way. I'm uh, totally against it. Um, and the whole... The whole gist of the show is women shouldn't be allowed to drive. I'm I'm fine with all the other stuff. They just right. shouldn't be allowed to well, drive. Well, did you were you in yeah. a car accident where a woman was at fault and you hurt your shoulder? No, I, it's just something I've seen in movies, uh, uh, television shows, uh, commercials, vines. Well, it'll be a great stand-up hour. I can't wait to hear it. And you, did you, and and Bob Odenkirk, whose performance in Better Call Saul I thought was wonderful. You, Dave, did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And we, it's it's the last show that I really kind of religiously watched, and I can't wait for the the second series, but I would... Um, Me too, and I... Or DVR them, and then I'd come in, and I'd go, don't fucking say anything, because Brian would watch it, that night on, and y'all would start talking about it. But I would tape it so I can plow through those uh, commercials. I can't stand watching that stuff and having to stop every twelve minutes. And you were proud you of know, your friend. Were you proud of your friend? Very, very much so. I was proud of him from Breaking Bad. I remember yeah. I was uh, a bit late to that show, and uh, uh, man, just uh, yeah, I think he's done a tremendous job and and and, and the show itself is amazing yeah and so well written yeah i love it suddenly i've gotten very quiet yeah <laughs> well i'll be honest when, when i watch it at first because i i don't like really liking bob and uh so i go in with a certain amount of resistance like right. bob's really a clown i don't think he can handle a role like this yeah and then uh and then that's I, what i thought right i still think yeah no but you were great and i was like god damn it it's so good, and he's well, so good, and, and they're writing it for me. I don't. But you, you, know. you actually, you have, you are taken out of it, and I'm. It's it's amazing that I'm going to act like he's not here. It's amazing that he has the ability to make you not watch your friend. Yeah, you're watching this guy. You're watching right. this character, and, and he, it's uh, that is a a remarkable feat. And, I think. And you know what else is remarkable about it is you you know it, and you know Bob and I know him not as well as you, but my relationship with him is different. Is that I felt bad for the character a little bit, and I don't feel bad yeah. for Bob at all. <laughs> can I can I admit something? Can what? I admit something? What? It's not me. <laughs> it isn't. It's my stand-in. Oh. I. It's the guy who stands in for me, and then right when it's time to go, I always whisper in his ear, "You say the words." <laughs> Just you do it. No, did you, just this one time. Did you finish shooting the new one, or is it? I did. We it, finished about a week ago. Thank it, you for the compliments, both of you gentlemen. Yeah, sure. I know. First of all, let me just say, I think you're both capable of the same exact kind of work, <laughs> yeah. and it is all up to somebody to write it and let you do it. I mean, we're as comics, as comic actors, we're all about commitment, right? Yeah. We commit to all kinds of crazy, crazy shit, and we hang in there with it and make it real, and. The difference here is just that these guys write, you know, really sensitive, complex characters, and so the that's the only difference. I mean, look at Michael McKeon. Yeah, he's doing amazing yeah. work. Wow. I mean, and, I, he, and he's capable. You know, I think a lot of comedy people. It's easier to go to drama than for drama people to go to comedy. Sure. I I, I find it infuriating, and uh, I mean, 
really upsetting, uh, and I've had to answer this question a uh, hundred times, especially in the, the in this last go round of press for this show, of this just general kind of unspoken understanding that uh, comics, it's a surprise when comics uh, can, you know, uh, act normally and, and inhabit a a real character with, you know, the grounded humanity and, and, and pathos, and, and that's a surprise for people, and it's, it's fucking, and because I get, in in relation to Better Call Saul, they're like, oh, are you surprised by that? I'm like, no, not at all. It's not I'm not a, surprised when any comic. Sure. It's not a look how great it's, it's, Look how great Keegan-Michael Key is in, uh, with Bob and David, and just, and he's, because he, and I'm pointing to him, because you're hilarious in that Know Your Rights thing, David, but he's playing an incredibly grounded, really quiet character, yeah. He's so good. The only the only people that I mean, that aren't surprised are our wives and girlfriends because they are dealing with the pathos and grounded complexity every day. <laughs> every right. day. That's right. <laughs> They're the only ones going. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah. Shit. But uh, everyone's doing good work, and I'm ha- happy we're all alive and healthy. And I'm- David just did a third season of. Uh, Increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret uh, for the network I'm on IFC. How did that go, David? Uh, it was great. It was uh, a really interesting. Um, it's going to be quite different, and uh, it's kind of a mind blowing yeah. thing what he did because each uh, season, and as he was describing this third season, is kind of makes you reconsider everything else you've seen. So yeah. it, oh, oh, so uh, so you just you fuck with people's heads. Yeah, it's more. There's a. Uh, I hope. I hope very much uh, that people aren't ahead of it, and I don't think they will be. But there's. I don't think they'll figure out what's really going on. There will probably be uh, two or three times throughout the. You're like, oh, I know what it is, and you'll be wrong. I know what's happening, and you'll be wrong. By That's- what point do you think people figure it out? What's the point of view of it? Uh, it won't be until the last ten seconds. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. Does that make it? That's what I'm saying. Does that make it fun? Or back and forth like, oh, I know what it it's is. Like, it's, it's like this, uh, it's like it it's like that. it's like Twin Peaks. Is it? Yeah. Is yeah. it a dream with a little person? Um, I mean, I'm five nine. I don't. I, mean, I think that's average. <laughs> Are you going to be working on anything funny in the future? Um. Yes, I'm making a movie starting in two weeks that I co-wrote. Really? It's called Girlfriend's Day. Have you been working on this for years? I have. I've been writing it on and off for years. I feel like we talked about it years ago. Well, we're making it. Great. Starting in two weeks. Congratulations. Thank you, buddy. Oh, so much shit is going on. It's a fun little thing. It'll come out on Netflix. And so that's really great because people will actually see it. As I understand it, Bob, didn't you you snap some really talented female uh, actresses for that Yes, Movie? Amber Tamblin is my <laughs> oh. love interest. No! Yeah. Oh, I see. Watch it, David. I just I wrote in me, I'm me kissing her. <laughs> is she really your love interest? <laughs> yes, she is. Why the... Now, that seems... Well, she's great. She's going to be amazing in this role. So great. How do you feel about this, Dave? I think it's great. Are you kidding? I mean, it, and it comes full circle because... She lost her virginity to Bob. Or no, Bob <laughs> lost his virginity to her. Is that true? Uh, right? A year ago. I can't ago. remember which one. A year ago. So it's, uh, it's really come full circle. My God, you guys, it's, you know, I, I feel a complex situation on the horizon. Could be. Could be 
unpleasant. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a, a modern, oh. emotionally stable, advanced oh. human being, and sure. uh, I accepted the the offer to uh, to go away for a couple months. And uh, they're putting me up on this uh, <laughs> nice island in uh, in the West Indies, and uh, I've got like a running tab, and I just go there for three months, and I don't check in, and I promise that I won't it won't bother me, and I promise I won't get on the internet, and I won't I I sign the papers, and we're I think it's a really good idea, and I'm looking forward to it to from because I'll grow I'll grow as a person too. <laughs> Well, it's going to be all right, Dave. It's going. Well, it sounds like you're going to have a good time. Yeah, it's going to be good. We've kissed each other on screen, haven't we, David? I think so. Yeah, in uh, in um, uh, fight marriage, right? Yes. Well, um, again, Thanks, I, I just want to say again that I'm I'm happy for all of us, and I'm glad I could be available for this. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Thanks guys. For us. Sure. Talk to you later, Dave. Always good to talk to you, Mark, and. Uh, uh, hopefully, I'll see you sooner rather than later. When you come, um, are you going to be out here? I will. I'll come uh, visit uh, Amber when she's shooting the movie with Bob. Uh, I'll probably get out there for like four days. Well, call me. Will you call uh, me? Come on, just call me. I, I will. Okay, buddy. I, I will. Talk to you later. All right, guys. Bye. That was great. Thank you, guys. That was fun, right? They were so Bob and Davidy. Weren't they Bob and Davidy? They were, right? Oh, my God. You guys okay? You ready for Thanksgiving? Are you ready? Yola Tango, man. Some deep fucking music. It's some fuck. It, it pushes right into your heart and into your mind. You can just lay back and lay into it. Great music. It's, a, it's my pleasure right now to, uh, to, to talk to Ira Kaplan from Yola Tango. It's, uh, it's my pleasure right now to mention that... Uh, their latest album, Stuff Like That, is available now, and they'll be back on tour in the U.S. starting next month. You can go to yolatango.com for dates and venues. But right now, let's talk to Ira Kaplan. Too much? Too much? You better now? Very delicate person. Huh? You, are you? Yeah, I, yeah, I would think that. But I, I, yeah. you know, I, don't, I don't know if I believe that. That would be the assumption I would make. But you've been in rock and roll too long to be that fucking delicate, Ira. Is that true? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Come on. You've seen it all. <laughs> you know, I've not seen it all. I've you not haven't? Seen it all. No, I'm, I'm very naive. Really? Yes. Do you know how many records you put out? Uh, I can name them. I can't count them. I mean, I could, I'd have to keep track. All the way through? You, you think you could, you could, you could name all of them? I probably could. I'm good at lists. Yeah? I think I could. The the weird thing is though to me like I've known you on and off for a long time, I've listened to I can't like many of the records. There's a lot of records. There's no one's heard them all. Is that true? <laughs> Don't you have a few fans that are well, like? Yes, we definitely do. And you hear from them? Yeah. I I always feel kind of shitty sometimes when I like sometimes I talk to musicians, and uh, I usually do okay with them. But for a real fan. Of like somebody who's listened to everything you do and, and is like, you know, listen to bootlegs and stuff. I don't know that I'm ever going to make an interview as, you know, that's going to satisfy those people. Like, because you, you know this, like I've had people in here where you like, oh yeah, I like those records, those two records. And then you look them up and they're like, they've, not, they've done 90. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that I, I don't 
a good conversation has is, nothing is, to do yes, with it. I think that's true. You, yeah. Well, yeah, you can't go album to album. No. Like, what was going on with the guitar in that one? Yeah. 1984, buddy. Take I me won't back. know. I won't know. <laughs> but where'd you start? Even that, I don't know. Uh, you know, we... we well, did, where were you born? I was born in uh, in Queens, and my family moved to Westchester immediately, so I have no memory of Queens. Really? So you grew up in in Westchester yeah. County. What town? Croton on Hudson. Oh, really? And what, like, how many... Like, yeah, you can go online and see uh, uh, The Battle of the Bands. There was a, a guy from the Huntley-Brinkley Report who lived in our town. And yeah. We had a Battle of the Bands and at the middle school, and they did a big report on it for some, some kind of local color thing. And, and somebody has posted the footage online, and me and my friend uh, Eric are in the front row just, like, gazing, like, <laughs> in awe. Do you remember uh, it? Oh, yeah. Who were the bands? The Harry Things. They were very good. They did Blues Project covers. And then uh, a friend of mine who who had an older brother and whose dad uh, was a jazz trombone player and a writer, he, so he was kind of a prodigy. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he was in The Bad Habit. I think they were called The Bad Habit, yeah. And this was like what year? 1975? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, 67, 68 or something. So what, were you like 10? Yeah. And you were you were down at the park or wherever. It was in the middle school, the middle school uh, gym slash auditorium. But you were aware and conscious of rock and roll at ten. Yes. Yeah. What kind of like what what was uh what was your the the ch- the childhood like? What was your dad's business? He was I uh, worked for a developer. Uh, oh, real estate real developer. Estate develop, yeah. So it was just like middle class Jewish mm-hmm. family thing. You got brothers and sisters. I have three brothers. I mean, we it was Jewish, like you know, culturally, not yeah, know, religiously yeah. at all. Like zero, like, like most of us. Yes. Yeah. Oh, really? No bar mitzvah. No, Nothing. Oh, you didn't have none of the that. Only time, on you? The only time I ever went to the temple was for anti-war demonstrations. Really? Yeah. So you didn't? But you must add relatives. Oh, and, and some. No, uh, not not in that sense. I went uh, to friends' bar mitzvahs and bar right. Mitzvahs, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but you and they were probably like, you didn't. You're not going to do it. Yeah, the rabbi was a. Uh, no, the rabbi was very upset. Oh, really? He's like, when is your father going? When are you going to come around? He'd give my parents a hard time, not us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're depriving those kids yeah, of a right. lot of guilt and shame later. <laughs> so you weren't brought up with any of that stuff. No, but music, I guess. Yeah, but you had older brothers. No, you were the oldest. It was on you. Yeah, you had to be the informer. Mm-hmm. You had to d- turn them on. Were you a good older brother? Uh, I think so. But did you have all the cool music? Were there? Do you do you, do any of your siblings hold you responsible for changing their lives? Um, yeah. I mean, it was. I cast a a long shadow. <laughs> but at age ten, you're already going to battle the bands. What were you listening to? And those sound like pretty abstract bands. I mean, you're saying they did blues project covers, and you were ten. Did you know going in? I did when not. Ten? No. But I did remember. I mean, it was it was so meaningful to me that. When I heard uh, projections by the Blues Project, I was like, "I know that's they're doing a, a Harry Things cover. I know <laughs> that song." <laughs> oh yeah, it, yeah, it turned around. Yeah. So when you were in high school, what was it, what was the plan? When did you start playing in a band? I was in a band in high school. I was, <laughs> I, I, my friends and I would play together, but we would just kind of tease each other. And yeah, it, it was not. I don't, <laughs> It was fun, yeah. but but we finally had to get two women who we didn't know and were in awe of to sing right. because we wouldn't make fun of them. Right, we right. would 
be just brutal to each other. So it was years before, again, I was comfortable singing. But even in high school, I was mostly playing uh, piano. I was barely playing guitar. Because Yola Tango is a very influential and important band in, in I guess you would call it indie rock. You're like a, a you're a mainstay. Yeah. You're a point of reference. We won't go away. You, well, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what else have you was, have there been discussions? Not uh, ma- I'm sure I'm sure many people have discussed it, not the three of us. <laughs> you just keep going. Yeah. But did what was your when you were in high school though, like what was what so what year you graduated in what? 74. Oh my god, so you're older than me. Like a few yeah. years. I graduated in 81. So you actually got to see all that shit. Like, I mean, in the sense that where were you musically in, in the early 70s around what was going on in New York? I mean, you, oh, you were right there. That I did see, yeah. Like, when when did you start taking the train in, man? Well, at an early age. I was, I was very... I mean, I remember t- literally trying to talk my parents into taking me to Woodstock. I mean, it was that kind of... Uh, at 10? Uh, 12 at that point, but yeah. Really? Yeah. It was just up the street, right? You were like, was, just trying... You know, that was my argument, but... Uh, Where were you learning about music? Where were you getting turned on to that stuff? Because hippies were everywhere, so you couldn't avoid yeah. it. Yeah. Well, uh, my town was a was a really big hippie town. Yeah. And so uh, the... The Grateful Dead loomed really large in the in my town and uh, and early on, like in the in the seventies, yeah, early seventies. Yeah. But I I don't know. I guess I just I'm not, I I think there was music in my household, but my parents who loved folk music, they loved show tunes. Uh, they had like the Pete Seeger record, yeah, Theodore Bacall, maybe definitely. Oh yeah, and. Uh, but they didn't they they didn't like rock and roll at all so it was kind of you know it was music but it was still mine right so uh odetta was there an odetta record i'm sure there was yeah yes, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah oh uh, so okay <laughs> so you were that's pretty jewish folk music yeah, and show yeah. tunes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well also we lived right on the hudson so uh pete seeger was you know sit was literally cleaning up the the river in our in in town and, uh-huh. and uh lee hayes from the weavers lived in croton and uh he was he was diabetic and i think i think he had already i don't know at what point he he lost uh one or both of his legs and so, right he, so he wasn't going anywhere so people would come to visit him and i, I remember literally being picked up by uh, arlo guthrie one day like hitchhiking and i was hitchhiking you uh, how old were you then nine when, <laughs> no, when, when were your parents letting you hitchhike at that well it was a, you know it's a different time it was a safe people there was a hill sure. a, a steep hill and kids would just wait at the bottom of the hill and yeah people would stop so arlo picked you up yeah. it was great to be picked up by him but it was the problem was that lee hayes wasn't that far into the trip to my house so he arlo didn't take me <laughs> the whole that way far it wasn't that long a ride so you didn't have a big conversation yeah, yeah. but it's so isn't weird though because when we were like i remember this when i was younger is that like images of people having really not knowing anything about their music like i could hold in my head like especially the 60s like there were definitely you know iconic people that I I could look at you know and see a picture of and identify, but I wouldn't really know what they what they do. Like like at that time, did, you knew it was Arlo Guthrie, but did you know Alice's Restaurant or did yeah, you? Yeah, oh, I would you have did. definitely know that. Oh, yeah. because your parents had it. That would be the gray area because there used to be a show 
on WQXR, which was the classical music station owned at the time by the New York Times, but they had a weekly folk show mm-hmm. called Woody's Children. And uh, so I guess occasionally they literally played Woody's <laughs> <Yeah>. Children. <laughs> uh, but um, <laughs> that was definitely something the whole family could agree on, that hour of radio a week. Oh, really? So you kind of grew up with that folky, like, you're, yeah, like yeah. you're like a legit boomer. I'm like a tail end dude. Like you were there for that. You were like cognizant and, you know, for the 60s and early 70s music stuff in your teens. I mean, I, I mean, like, you know, you asked before about New York mm-hmm. the, in this in the 70s. And I do remember like vividly seeing Patti Smith for the first time. And one of the just it was almost one eye opening moment after another. But she uh, for her encore, she played Time is on My Side and dedicated it to the father of rock and roll, Ed Sullivan, which, you know, I knew enough to know that, no, the father of rock and roll is Alan Freed. But but she was talking to me because Ed Sullivan was my father of rock and roll. I didn't know. Alan Freed was somebody I'd heard about, but... Right. But but I watched, I saw the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and... You remember that? Yeah, yeah. What, so, so what were you like seven? Then I was seven. Yeah, you you remember seeing the Beatles and the Stones yeah, on Sullivan? Yeah, yeah. That's that's fascinating to me because like you know I I I don't have that, you know I I don't have like I saw it after, but so that really what you were there, like as a kid when all that stuff was like the first time anyone saw it. It's it's vivid to me. I mean I I remember I remember not only watching it but why I watched it. My my friend from up the street who had an older sister, Yeah, he played Meet the Beatles for me and said, they're going to be on TV. You got to see it. And this is this new band. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. So when you saw Patti Smith, were you in like junior high or? No, no. Then I was in college. Oh, really? Yeah. So what were you doing for like, you know, like 13 to, to 18? I was, well, there used to be these, these great shows in Woman Rink, which were, a dollar or two, yeah, and they, and because of the neighborhood, they were really early, so they would be over by like eight thirty. So, at a, at a very early age, I was allowed to take the train and go see them and go with my friends, or frequently just go by myself. Who were some of the people you saw? Well, that's where I saw the Kinks for the first time, which was that was another just mind blower. Yeah, and you were like what fifteen? Fifteen. Because your music definitely has a, has a place, and and it seems like a natural extension of some of the stuff that happened in New York in the seventies. You know, uh, with the sound, with like uh, you know Lou Reed and, and Velvet Underground and television and that kind of stuff. Like, it, but you obvi- do you feel that those are influences for you? I you know the the, the I usually run from the influence sure. word, but yeah. but the thing that I that I do, I, I always feel that that. We were more, uh, or I was more. Um, I, I feel like the people who who got it from the Velvet Underground almost more. I mean, obviously, I'm on the wrong side of this argument because people have told what? me I'm wrong. We sound like the Velvet Underground, but but it's always well, I don't to think me you sound like them. The feelies and the modern lovers, the kind sure. of the more yeah. the more suburban yeah. takes on on right the city scape of the velvet underground that always felt like those people were oh that's nice uh, a, a little less jaded so what 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 
argument do people always consider you on the wrong side? Well, of? the 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 tide of the Velvet Underground is. I mean, I think it's. I mean, I, I, look, I love them and <laughs> right, but you refuse to. Uh, <laughs> I refuse to agree with anyone. That's probably what it comes down to. I've got a lot. I've got all the records and some that, that no one else has, but I, I couldn't cite them as an influence. That's precisely. Yeah, I, I do. Have I some, knew I could make you understand yeah, some rare cassette tapes yeah. that took me a long time to find, but I can't <laughs> really say that they influenced me in any way. <laughs> all right, buddy. But you're willing to let the feelies? Yeah. 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 But you're probably friends with those guys. Yes. Because you're they're contemporaries. Um, not quite. Uh, I a mean, later? They're, they're a little, slightly older. Oh, they are? Yeah. But, um, I mean, they were a band that, that I got to know. I got, when, at a certain point, uh, George and I moved to Hoboken and I started, we both started working at Maxwell's and I was, uh. Wait, where, so where'd you meet Georgia? I met her at a Feely show. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Where? At uh, this uh, after-hours rock dance disco uh, danceateria. I remember danceateria. Now I don't know if you remember the original one. There were two. There was there was the original one, which until it was closed in a raid, uh, there would be three sets a night. The headlining band would play the uh, first and third set, and the three sets were at midnight, two and four. Really? So the last, yeah. So the Feelies were there. Like now, who was like? Well, the Feelies played CBGBs and Maxes. I mean, they go, they go right. Pretty. I didn't realize they were that. The they were yeah. that far back. Did you ever go to um, Maxes? Yeah, Max. Like, did you see the Velvet Underground? No, I was too young for that, and right. and probably too stupid. I think by the time I heard them, they didn't exist anymore. Uh huh. Really? Yeah. Did you ever see Lou? Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, did yeah. you become friends with him? No, you didn't. Come on, why, why is that a funny I'm, question? I, I'm, it, I'm. It's not. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not that outgoing. Come on. <laughs> you are with comedians. Yeah, kinda. Kinda. So you meet her at a Feely show yeah. in New York City, and you guys, you know, hit it off around the Feelies. Well, we had mutual friends. We would and and mutual interest in in bands that didn't have particularly large followings so we, it was kind of inevitable that we would meet at some point it was sort of a smaller circle wasn't yeah. it yeah like who were like did you did you see um like the new york dolls or verlaine or any of those people when television was around oh television or? for sure but but to me those are like sea change differences between the new york dolls and tom and television i mean the new, as i said being from like this hippie town liking the kinks was already an issue with some of my friends because they were deadheads or whatever yeah Mom i mean as, as was i i mean i i loved that too they but, were great weren't they they did yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, did you ever see them i did see them i actually just saw them i went to chicago and how saw was the it reunion. i had i had a fantastic time it was great i bet yeah post jerry did it, you I, I i had never listened i still have not listened to a note of fish but I thought Trey Anastasia was great. I, I, I had a great time. What? Uh, when did you, like? When did you see the dead? Uh, like Wake of the Flood. I think they were they were around then and, and a few Terrapin. times. Terrapin. Uh, I probably I, I may have stopped by then. I only saw them a few times. Yeah. Was it pretty fun? Yeah. Were you doing acid? I nope. I told you I'm naive. No drugs. <laughs> no. 
Never. Well, I mean, not. I mean, yeah, a little bit, but not right. Not right. acid. No. You were you're a nervous guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't know. If my parents wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But you saw you saw television. Yeah, a lot. They when were they were at the top of their oh, game, they were amazing. Well, he's a pretty good guitar player, that guy, huh? They both are. Yeah, I mean that was just amazing. I would go all the time to CBs. Yeah, the Ramones. Yeah, I mean it's it. Uh, Dead boys. I think the answer will be yes to, to all of them. Yeah. So you were so you were sucking all that up, at what before you were twenty, right? Uh, right, right, I guess so. Yes. What was the fucking East Village like, dude? <laughs> do you miss that you know i don't really get it's funny i i i know i'm i know the right answer is yes no and, no and, no you, and it's not like i like it now and 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 but we're grown-ups but now. i don't i don't feel I, I try not to get to i feel a lot of the the nostalgia yeah is is it, it, i feel like it is nostalgia and it's and it's i mean i've got plenty of signs of age but but uh, oh, you kids don't know how great it was. Is not one of right. them. Sure. Did you see Johnny Thunders? Yeah. How was that? Th- those were uh, fantastic. I mean, they would, they would, they they I would they would play at Max's. So I'd go the to the Heartbreakers. Yeah, the Heartbreakers, and every show they ever did was like their farewell show. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and they would eventually go on and almost inevitably it'd be daylight when they finally finished their second set <laughs> how about the talking heads yeah 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 i've, I've, I've went god damn it shows a lot well that's a, well no i just like hearing that because even <laughs> at even at my most youthful i was never a guy that went out to to see rock bands and like i, I did it a few times and so they're they're very rem, you know memorable to me but like people like you who are like out in it like every weekend going no, to see my ear my ears are, are ringing to uh to confirm that story yeah okay so you meet georgia you're plinking around on the guitar and she's playing drums you're very humble almost to the point of negating about the beginning of this fucking band that you're in <laughs> well it but it, i mean I, I, to an extent that's a strategy but it but it's not really wrong uh right. we were we were playing and and uh, the, the two bands that we were really big fans of and who were very supportive of us yeah. were the Feelies and the DBs. And uh, the DBs used to play at parties at the New York Rocker, this fanzine that we were yeah. part of our circle. Yeah. And and one day, uh, Peter Holsapple of the DBs asked George and me if we wanted to join him, join them and play with them. And I mean, it was, we were petrified. But we did, and that was the first time we ever played for people in public. With the DVs. Yeah, doing, like, you know, cover songs at this party. So we it really wasn't, you know, it, it always... I, I've always noticed the difference between, like, you know, the kind of English bravado, like, you know, all the music today is shite. So yeah, yeah. we had to form a band to show them how it's done. That, you know, nothing could have been further from our background well it doesn't seem like you know throughout your career and throughout all the records and i imagine through your live performing that you know it's like being a comic in the sense that you know i don't i don't attract a lot of meatheads so i think that like you know having that's always fascinated me about what i sent cbgb's was is that there was such a variety of music 
that I imagine that you know some bands you know got up to another band's audience and it would have just been horrible. Like I imagine that the, it seems like the world that you surrounded yourself in were were fairly, you know, sensitive people and and not like come on let's fucking. Well, I don't think, especially at the beginning, at CBGBs, I don't think there was that. I don't think that many people were were coming there. Other than I, I don't think it didn't seem like a huge sea change right. between the Talking Heads and the Ramones. Right. I mean, it was they were both. Oh, it's just new. Other. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, that's interesting. Punk rock. Yeah. In a way. Okay, so you do this gig with the DBs, and when do you meet the bass player? Well, J- you mean James? Yeah. Uh, we, we, we formed our band in 1984 and couldn't keep a, a group together. We, we, and partly because of just how our, our terrible approach to doing it we just would ask our friends and inevitably our friends were in other bands so they were never committed to us they'd play for a while they would go do something else the and uh and we in in 1992 we were uh as usual between bass players or we had somebody filling in who we knew wasn't gonna who wasn't committed so to really us. the core of it was just you and george oh always yeah, yeah. And 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 James was playing in a band, uh, Christmas, who uh, from Boston, originally from Boston. They were living in Providence at the time, and they actually had had a similar issue keeping a, a third person in the group. And James was their bass player, and we were friends with with the band. And he said he always says this jokingly. It didn't seem like a joke at the time because probably because it wasn't a joking matter, but he said, well, you know, if you ever need uh, somebody to fill in, just call me up. And, you know, we probably called him immediately. Later. <laughs> Time to fill in yeah. forever. But, but he, jo- well, and that was the thing. I think the fact that he joined as a temporary person, as a member of another band, allowed us to organically form a band together instead of like, you're hired. Right. It, it wasn't like that. And it was really a year later pretty much that he really was in the group oh really so like not until like four or five albums in the 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 second record the first record he's on he's kind of there as the guy who well he's been touring he knows the songs on ride the tiger no no he's not on the first album he's on is may i sing with me right so you would already done a lot of recording we had yeah with just filling people i mean yeah essentially i mean that's that's an over generalization but um Yes, people who were, there was a revolving door. Because it, when, in re-listening and listening to some of this stuff for the first time, there, it's it's interesting because like at some point, you you evolved into a sound that is uniquely yours. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes it, it, it makes me sad. But I think that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I like that type of feeling, you know, but it is it makes me a little heavy hearted, but I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning, you know, it was definitely not that. That's right. So, and I don't talk specifically about this with a lot of musicians because it's, it's kind of tricky to talk about is that, you know, obviously you play together a long time, um, and you know, bands change, but what, what makes someone shift from, I guess, what was happening more feely style to, to this sort of almost ethereal kind of like tone that it has a, mo- a lot more atmospheric. I mean, was there a moment where you're like, "Holy shit, I should have to amp that high all the time," or, 
Like, you know, the sustain on that. Why aren't we doing that more? Yeah. There's, well, there's a variety. Uh, the biggest, the biggest part of that answer is James, that when he joined the band and when he really joined, not when we, you know, that sort of year later after we had made this other record, he had moved to Brooklyn and we didn't have other jobs. So we just practiced a lot and, and we'd never done that before. We'd be okay. kind of like, you know, trying to get somebody to, well, we've got a show coming up. We really should practice. Say, well, I think I can squeeze you in. How's Thursday, 8 to 10? You know? Right. And that was the kind of... Just getting ready for a gig. Yeah. Right. And then when we... The, the, the record, the first record on Matadors, the record Painful, and that record we rehearsed like crazy for, and we would we'd write the song, and we'd practice it, and then we'd rip it up and try it again and you know it, it was it hadn't been like that and and I think we found lots of ways of playing and ways that we could rely something to build on where where I think that was one of the natures of having so many different people is it was almost like starting again constantly and uh in the first few records yeah so and and but you and Georgia were primarily writing all the songs yes uh, we did a lot of covers, but yes, we we the songs that were being well. Our first album, uh, Dave Schram was the lead guitarist, and we did two of his songs that he sang. And didn't he come back around? Yeah, he played. He's he played on our fake book record in 1990, and he's and now this new record we have is kind of a sequel to Fake Book, and he's back playing with us. What's that like after what 20 years? It's great. Yeah. Uh, well, we've we've done stuff. To, it's I, I think. Even though we're not living in Hoboken anymore, yeah. there's still kind of a small town mentality, I think, that we have. And we don't, you know, these people stay in our lives. And, and even though we haven't recorded with Dave, he's we've played live with him uh, from time to time. He's been part of Hanukkah shows. There was one night, it turned out he was in Chicago with a band and the same night we were like oh you know come, come do over a few songs there was no hoboken music scene well there was i mean maxwell's was right definitely a a, a, a hub and you lived there yeah in hoboken yeah and you were you were a sound guy at maxwell <laughs> i was standing behind the board when people were playing did you listen to matt sweeney uh, no no i haven't heard that one yet no did i did i do sound for him he said they went out of their way to upset you. They, he said that that you you had a sort of uh, I, I can't pair. I'm just paraphrasing. Oh, he, he was in Skunk. That's right. It would have been Skunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said that there was something about you that had a, a sort of air about you that they just wanted to fuck with. It's. I'm sure it wasn't difficult. <laughs> and he said they would do sound checks and just play shit that would upset you on purpose. He may be uh, exaggerating. It, he he may be misreading. <laughs> sure, we all projected that. Yeah. You probably just sort of like, oh, here we go. Yeah, I think these these yeah. kids, they're gonna do their punk rock thing. Were they a good band? I don't remember them. Uh, I remember them their existence, but right. I, but I don't remember. So when you moved to Hoboken, what year was that? Or what? I think what eighty or eighty one? And that was be okay. So before you did any recording, so yeah, you, yeah. you kind of built Maxwell's in a way. No. no, no, no. Maxwell's preceded us. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And that was a a it was a it was one of the reasons we moved there. I mean, it was to to move. There was nothing happening in Brooklyn at that you know in those 
dark ages and to live someplace where you could walk to a club was uh and who was playing the maxwell circuit everybody uh quite a few people i mean as i said the dbs would play in the feelies and rem played there a lot husker do uh were were very uh so that was the second wave so this is this is an interesting thing about you is that like you know you were a kid and you do all the cbs business and then all those bands came in later Mm mm-hmm and that was the whole next wave of like you, you know what was unleashed of the others, like Husker Du and the Feelies. Like they were posting. I mean, the Minutemen. You know, oh my God! Amazing. You yeah. saw them? Oh yeah. I I for a, a friend of mine and I booked a weekly series at Folk City in Manhattan for about a little more than a year, and uh, I'm almost positive we gave the Minutemen their first show off of the hardcore circuit. Uh huh. That. And I and probably Husker Du as well. That you know, could they were just part of that hardcore Punk world, thing. Yeah. yeah. And and we booked them. All right, so there you are. You you moved to Hoboken to be closer to a club in walking distance. I was doing good stuff, and you're working the board. Mm-hmm. And what else? You, you working all all different jobs there? You were literally being paid by Maxwell's too. I was being paid a little. I, I was, was it more of a way to get into shows? <laughs> it, it was definitely a way to get into shows, but it was it was we we uh we lived in a house, and um one of our roommates had a friend staying on the couch, and it, it we felt like he was never going to leave, and he announced one day that he was going to be the new sound man at Maxwell's. Yeah, and I went to the owner and said. <laughs> can't hire him hire me and that is how i that's that's my how i think how i got the job and that, and that was those were my qualifications because you didn't want him in the house yeah. anyway. <laughs> did you learn anything being a sound man not really i stunk at it it was it was i i've i feel bad i wish i'd been more curious about learning more things about sound i mean I, there were there were a couple of things i was thinking about this recently there were a few things i did that were were right uh trying to deal with the room being little yeah but um but in terms of like equalizers nothing yeah yeah (laughs) not not your thing don't hurt them they won't hurt you (laughs) right so but you must have known that you were destined to be playing like at that time, I, I wouldn't say I, that. So, what were you thinking? Were you? I do, don't know. That's were, a, you now. You now. You sound like my mom. That's the, <laughs> that's the questions I was being. But, asked. but were you doing something? Were you writing? Were you? What were you doing? I was writing a little. I was for what putting for, on these shows. Well, New York Rocker had gone out of business, so I was kind of not really writing very much. I had written for New York Rocker. What rock reviews? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. I'm not. I, and you I were was promoting a, a little. Yeah. Um, oh my God! So your parents must have been going nuts. They probably were. Yeah. What do you mean they probably were? They were, they weren't like Ira. <laughs> uh, you would you know it'd be like the occasional lunch would, uh-huh. that would come up with your mother. Yeah. They're so like, what are you doing? I'm I'm just yeah. making up your mother right now. <laughs> Where are you working? Yeah. Is that a good job? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I was I was I was proofreading lousy books i had a, I had a college friend who worked for this uh second rate uh at best paperback publisher and i was proofreading and copy editing for them I mean, did just, you go to college you finished yeah. college uh i went to college and i ultimately finished oh yeah but not on recently 
not recently. <laughs> Finally but, got but, that incomplete done? Way, way after the fact. Where'd you go? Sarah Lawrence. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, so that was part of how I was able to go to all those shows. It was just, you know, even closer than Croton. To New York? Yeah. Wait, was it right after it stopped being a girl's school? Soon after. Yeah. That place has got a reputation. Kind of a groovy place. Nothing? Um, no real memories of it? It's just a... I have some memories. Uh-huh. What? <laughs> what, what? I don't like looking back. Really? Was it a bad time for you, Ira? I'm... You know, you, you ask these questions about, like, you know, what were you doing? Which is such a naturally... It's, it's a question that seems to come out of the conversation very organically. Uh. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, it's kind of amazing to me that we managed to get here today. That we... I, I, maybe I did have a plan. I don't... It doesn't... I can't... I don't think so. Well, maybe... It, it seems to me that that well, I mean, I'm no therapist, but it, it seems to me that um, there there's this natural uh, diminishing uh, uh, gear you have in your head that it's humble. You know, you're humble. So yeah, it, it seems that like in talking about it, you're like, well, I don't, I don't know. It just, uh, you know, just we weren't really trying to do anything. But I mean, your music is very, it, it's very realized and and passionate and and orchestrated and and amazing. So like at some point, you know, you're gonna have to own your ambition as a musician. Well, uh, we from the moment we played, we lo we loved playing. Yeah, and uh, and I've always, I, I, but um, yeah, I mean, we've we've tried, we've tried to do we've done the best we can what'd always you, and but um what what did yeah. you study in college i mean barely anything sarah lawrence was was a college you could really uh drift yeah so you were drifting i was drifting and the i was going to shows i mean that's really what i was but you I, you can't identify in your mind or your heart that you were maybe going to shows because of this amazing desire to do oh that. no i always knew i had the desire that for sure yeah that, without a doubt but but it it almost felt as I, I i thought i tried to express it before but that almost the more i wanted to do it yeah the harder it the more unobtainable it seemed at times i you know i just couldn't figure out how to how to make that leap even right. even when it seemed like it wasn't a leap anymore but just a step now with painful but that was the album that really sort of got you recognized uh, that was a yeah i mean we, we we always had kind of little incremental yeah uh but painful was was a big change yeah and in in that you got you some airplay or were you getting airplay before that or uh, probably well college radio i'm sure, sure. we were yeah, yeah, we definitely were in college radio, and probably and and probably never got it anywhere else, even with painful or anything else, any other record. Really? I mean, we've never had, you know, some commercial radio which has like the right. the one hour sort of one hundred and twenty minutes equivalent. You know, did we, you want that? Sure. Yeah. Oh, I'd be i I'd be happy to have success. You know, more commercial success. I'd, I'm. I mean that that is something I am confident about that that i don't feel like i i i believe in in me and i believe in us and i think we could deal with 
whatever situation we were put in. Yeah. Do you, but you never consciously said like, we're going to write a hit. No. <laughs> no. Why not? I don't think we'd be good at it. I mean, we don't we don't we don't play well enough, we don't sing well enough. We're not that's not what our strengths are. I think our strengths are expressing who we are. Right. And I and I think trying to be something else and and I, I think would be we would not be as good at it. Right. And so, and and honestly or well, as opposed to everything else I've said, um one thing that that I did get a lot out of from going to see bands was seeing the bands in like television who were a, a strong influence in this regard in the Ramones watching these amazing bands not become successful the Velvet Underground the Kinks in their own way yeah it, it finally got to the point where I didn't I thought that not only do, and, and the band NRBQ who are kind of not part of any of this world yeah. but still huge to me yeah um not only was being good not a guarantee of success, it got to the point where I thought it might be a guarantee of failure, of mm. commercial failure. That if, And so we never expected, we weren't disappointed by not being more successful. And then we also observed people that we considered peers who we did think were kind of going for it. And it seemed to backfire like every time, like a band like REM who did get bigger and bigger. Yeah, it, it, it to me it didn't seem like that was a calculation. It just seemed like they they caught a wave. Right. And then so if we had tried, I think I, I I'm sure. Well, I agree we with you. I, I'm being devil's advocate. I, I I think that there are people that that set out to write a certain type of song. It's a different career ambition. You know, like if you talk, like I talked to somebody like Jack Antonoff, who, you know, wants to be a pop songwriter. I mean, that's the job he wants. But he also wants to express himself. But, you know, he studies pop music. You, look, you talk to somebody like uh, uh, Rivers Cuomo. I mean, that guy, he wants to make pop music, you, you know, and, and also honor himself in the, in the same sort of breath. But I, I mean, I gravitate more towards, you know, what you're seeing, which is that, you, you know the the purest expression of what you think is your creativity is is what you should be doing and that's what you did yes <laughs> and how is your audience holding up after 30 years pretty good i mean it's kind of you know it's we're uh family night yeah <laughs> get sure sure the kids, kids bringing their parents and vice versa is that it's, true yeah oh that's sweet yeah <laughs> But the, but we actually we have we have a uh, you know our new record is 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 so different from what we normally do. There's no I don't the stuff I don't, like that. It's called stuff like that. There. Yeah. I How only, is it different? Well, it's as it's as I said, it's like a sequel to this fake book record we made, which is just I only play acoustic guitar. Uh, Georgia doesn't. She plays a small kit standing up mostly yeah. with brushes. It's um, and uh, we did a show. We did a, an NPR show recently in that playing that way, and uh, we got an email afterwards from somebody saying, um, "I I loved it. My son was a little disappointed that there were no guitar freakouts. So, so will that happen at the Philadelphia show, or is that the way you're going to play? Because it's going to kind of influence whether he comes or not. So he I wanted said, some noise, huh? Actually, you know, next year. Oh, really? This year we're uh, just you let the kid down. Uh, well, he wants some fucking noise, man. Know, 
He wants some fucking guitar. You're denying the kid guitar. <laughs> See, uh, you know, you got to listen to your listen to your heart. Where did you figure out how to to sort of do that? Because I know people compare you to to Thurston probably a little bit, like, in, in, but you're, I think, certainly a little more melodic. But I mean, where did you start to open it up like that? Well, we started uh, when we were. We did a lot of practicing as a trio. We, we didn't. We did very little playing live as a trio. Yeah. But we would practice, and then whoever was going to be the fourth band member at that show would kind of show up and have one rehearsal. Uh, so a lot of it, some of it was just imitating uh, Dave Rick, who was our, our first bass player, but then also, I mean, he's an astonishing guitar player. And he would play, and I'd just watch him, you know, just wailing on the, the tremolo arm, and I thought... That looks like fun. And so <laughs> we'd just try a lot of it at practice. Yeah. And got comfortable enough that we started accepting shows before we found out whether one of our rotating cast of guitar players could do it. So it was actually a way to fill out. Like, you know, like you became more confident with the sound that you didn't have to, that it was strong enough to where it didn't matter who the next guy was going to come in. Well, we we always felt that way. We felt like as a quartet we could we could plug these different people in. Uh but then we we did the show in Albany as a trio because we had accepted the date without, right. and it turned out nobody was free. Right. So we were like gulp and and I did all the guitar solos and it was like well, that was fun. So Yeah, I, so you could do it. I'm doing it. it. Well, it's scary jump you yeah. know, to like, uh, like if I think about it, when I think about like I like I say I rarely play with people, but if it's just me and a bass player and a guitar, it's it feels like there's a lot of responsibility there. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like there's no guy just to make sure that that stays filled up over here, so I can do this. So it was almost to compensate for lack of a rhythm player in a way. Well, it was also what I could do. I mean, right. some of the some of the more melodic and mm -hmm. other ways of playing. Some of that's I, I think I've developed over the years. And at the time, I probably wasn't capable of doing much more than just making a racket. Right. So the last record, the the uh, the fade record, is a classic Yola Tango record, like that. But this one, which I didn't get on vinyl, so I, I didn't listen mm -hmm. listen to yet. I'm not being a snob. I just no, the, no. The, the CDs that get away from me. I understand. It's it's acoustic and uh, grown-ups like it. Is what you're telling me. <laughs> <That's>, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's primarily cover songs. It's there. We wrote. There's only two new songs by us. Who'd you cover? Uh, I can look right now. The Parliaments, Love and Spoonful, oh, uh, Hank oh. Williams. Wow. Uh, but but also some some bands that are not as well known uh antietam uh special pillow i have that antietam album that's a pretty record which one? Oh, i'll show it to you i don't know there's yeah they've they've our first show uh almost 31 years ago was with them it was like their third show they've been playing I mean, the, as been long as you guys yeah like i don't know anything about them see like it's so fucked up like you know i don't believe that there's any late to the party but like i miss so much always you, you know like because i'm a pretty open-minded person but to keep filling in you know even when i get all these records 
and now because there are all these record nerds around there all these labels not labels but smaller presses are reissuing things mm-hmm. yeah that were record nerd favorites and their bands i'm like i don't know who this is how do you know who this is yeah no you're getting those records too you probably have the originals of some of those records a lot of it but but I've, i i'm you're like sharpling i am happy that i have that i have stopped caring i mean there was a time in my life when it would have really disturbed me not to know oh I something can, yeah. and I, now it's like i'm just mad but it, yeah. but there's also an excitement of discovery yeah even if something's you know been buried to you or and non i didn't know anything about it for 30 years 40 years like what, what, what was this yeah how is this happening because there's all these different types of music that are sort of surfacing in their own communities now that the media landscape is fragmented and and people can sort of like find their little world in in a, in a slightly different way than like oh there's a rockabilly there's a punk rockers there's this that but now like you know psych rock and garage rock and and these records that were released in in you know issues of a thousand records that no one can find but now they reissue them and it, it blows minds i didn't know who the fuck hawkwind was uh-huh. until like yeah. six months ago and there's 90 records yeah it's bizarre or the groundhogs I I even know. to this day i know one hawkwind song yeah i don't know any of the songs but i know Silver what they sound Machine, like great song what about the groundhogs groundhogs i know a little bit i didn't know anything about yeah. them but because dan down again you know dan dan cook down at Gimme Gimme, he used to have Gimme Gimme in New York, the record store on, uh, I think he was on St. Mark's. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's here now. So he's my guy. So he's like, I think you'd like this. I'm like, Malcolm is a big Groundhog's guy. He didn't talk with, he didn't I know, I don't know. And now, is he? He's yeah. a big Groundhog guy? And that guy, I think, is still around, that McPhee, that, uh, what's his name, Dave McPhee, the Groundhog's guy? Or I, don't, Paul you know, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and you cover a, a, a Sun Ra uh, album? Uh, do you do a Sun Ra song? Yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, a, a doo-wop song, a okay. Sun Ra doo-wop number that was he wrote and uh, arranged for this vocal group, the Cosmic Rays. So what I'm starting to realize is that you know, maybe you went to see a lot of rock shows, but I think you were probably more influenced by your record collection in the sense that you have a very wide, expansive sense of music from, you know, from having so many records. Like you wouldn't have seen Sun Ra. Oh, sure. You did see Sun Ra. Yeah. Okay. I, in fact, not only did I see Sun Ra, Sun Ra to me is one of the people that I kind of kicked myself about because there was a t- in the, the 70s, they played New York all the time in the, in the 80s. And I went, I saw him and them a few times, but, but I had like a, a friend of mine who would like go see them every week. And I was like, why wasn't I that smart? So what is it about him? Because he's not easy. Yeah. Well, that's, that was part of why I wasn't going every week. I mean, <laughs> not just the music, but, but like, you know, it'd be like, come on, guys, it's 2 a.m. When are you going on? Yeah, like, oh, really? It, it, there was a lot of that. It felt like it really had to, that's my recollection of it. Maybe I'm uh, saying that. Maybe that's, Where did you get your jazz head chops? Where did, you, where did you get turned on to that? Well, NRBQ had a lot to do with it, that, you know, hearing, uh, hearing Sun Ra, the first time I was aware of Sun Ra was yeah. hearing NRBQ do... Rocket Number Nine, and uh-huh. they did Thelonious Monk songs, and then I heard Thelonious Monk, and was like, "Oh, I that sounds a lot like Terry Adams." So, a lot of that stuff came through the through bands, them, yeah. Were... And then, and you know, just listening to Ornette Coleman, Albert Eiler, John Coltrane, you know, just kind of the, you know, it, it was just there. Like you'd read an interview with Roger McGuinn and sure. talking about Eight Miles High. We wanted it to sound like. 
John Coltrane. Like, well, that's interesting because good. like that type, the type of guitar playing that you somehow take the freedom to do is adventurous. And I, I imagine that listening to that stuff early on or being influenced by that stuff certainly gives you a sense of how far you can push something or, or, or at least gives you the, the freedom to do it. Probably. I mean, it's it's it is. I mean, I'm I'm not just being coy. Sometimes it's not no, sure, clear where these things are coming from. Uh, but you know, Neil Young has a there too, where you you watch him and just feel like, well, this is not a technical master. This is somebody <laughs> who's just playing out of just sheer yeah sheerness yeah, and uh, and and feel like, well, what would happen if I did that? What would that work? Would it sound? And you know, just trying things. Does it feel good when you do it? Oh, it's the best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what about um, like when you do covers? In a way, it's kind of what I'm looking forward to of not playing that way. Yeah, it, it's it's like tantric sex. It'll be like I can't. It'll be so exciting to go back and doing it again oh, after a year yeah. of doing acoustic. Yeah, I bet it will. But but do you find um, like because he. The only the, the point of reference I have when I hear you talk about the new record and, and the type of feedback you're getting is sort of where, in a very different way, in, in a way that I don't quite understand because I don't know him, but the sort of like where Jonathan Richmond stopped and stayed, you, you know, that he, mm-hmm. he, he became almost, it, 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 it's almost children's music after a certain point. And, you know, he, like, there were those acoustic records mm-hmm. that he made that were very fun yeah. and lighthearted. But and then, those are pretty old. I mean, those. Sure. Those. I don't know what he's up to now. Do you know him? Yeah. A little bit. I mean, we know him. Yeah. Yeah. Is he a good guy? I don't know him. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I. Because I kind of like to talk to him, but I'm nervous. He's, he's doesn't like talking, doing interviews that much. He's, 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 he's done a, <laughs> he did an interview for uh, this amazing documentary about Danny Fields. Yeah. And he did it while setting up for a show <laughs> at uh at the bell house and then now i'm trying to think who it was but somebody else just i know also interviewed him same scenario oh really 20 minutes while he's setting have you up seen another him? show have you seen him lately play not in the last year but i've seen i continue to see him is he pretty good still? he's great it's fantastic it's just him for the last bunch of years it's just been him and a drummer he brings his own pa he plays a a nylon string guitar not plugged in it's real they're really quiet he like if it, you've got to be careful what time of year you go see him because he'll make the air conditioner be turned off uh-huh because you'll Too hear noisy yeah. yeah but but he's he's playing whatever comes into his mind at the moment covers or his well, or the whatever thing, that's what's interesting is that his repertoire is not that vast yeah he doesn't really draw on that many songs but he can do them like he'll change key in the middle and he'll just put down the guitar and start dancing and give the drummer a, a solo and uh and he sings in in i think it's six or seven different languages hmm. he does stuff like hebrew italian french spanish interesting english so I'm he's really fun. sort of gone on his own journey absolutely it uh. it is so inspiring you just watch and 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 he's he's just He's like a himself. savant in a way, and, and it's not like he's like, or not a savant, but somebody who, who sort of protected himself, yeah, uh, and 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 insulated himself out of you know perseverance in a way. Huh. I'm curious about that. I should listen to some of his later stuff. Like I haven't listened to his stuff in a long time. Um, 
in terms of album sales and selling tickets on the road and stuff, I know you do soundtrack work and stuff like that. So you sort of diversified a bit. You you do those kind of gigs. We we do whatever makes sense. I mean, we we do enjoy playing in all sorts of ways, and it's mm-hmm. and it and it is part of you know as I said, it'll be when we come back to playing electric, it'll make it that much more exciting having played acoustically for a few months, which we're looking forward to as well. And similarly, we uh, we we were here just a couple of months ago uh, playing. Uh, oh, for for one of your guests, we we backed Amber Tamblin uh, at at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. She was reading her uh-huh. her poems, and we were we were her band. And uh, so, just how'd that go? It was great. We we were trying to figure out a way to do it again, but uh-huh. it, was, it was it was. Why don't you make a record? Well, it's up to her. Oh. <laughs> and what about the uh, the Todd um, Haynes uh, movie, the Dylan movie? Yeah. You did several of those, we right? We did two songs for, for that, yeah. And did you meet with him? Did he choose you? How'd that work? He chose us. He he wanted us to record um, Fourth Time. Or I th- actually, I think there was a list of maybe four or five songs that he wanted us to choose one. We chose Fourth Time Around. And then the music people said well as long as you're recording you know is there anything else you want to do and i want to be your lover was one that we already knew Uh but it was cool what was exciting about that was they um they encouraged us to do something you know don't feel you have to record as a trio if you want to do something different go ahead so we ended up with terry adams we kind of put together our hawks and terry adams from nrbq played piano and uh stanley Doral, who's buckwheat or buckwheat zydeco he played he's an astonishingly great hammond organ player he played organ and uh, our friend uh pete phillips played lead guitar and john sebastian played harmonica it was wow this crazy uh session we did one afternoon oh that's amazing yeah so that's fun man absolutely so you're still having fun yes great. emphatically but i think we did good i'm i'm I, you know, being interviewed remains kind of this this weird experience. It's kind of a lot of a lot of the things. I think it's in a lot of ways just better to listen to records and make up your own story, mm-hmm. and and having sort of this authoritative figure who presumably knows the real story tell what happened. Mm-hmm. I th- I think in some ways is. Uh, lessening the experience of listening so i'm always willing to answer questions but i'm never sorry when they're not asked <laughs> well i i'm not a big question guy <laughs> yeah that's i've you enjoyed know, myself yeah, very much I, I'm, I'm, I'm always hoping that you just start talking i, I was nervous about it because I, I like i've no, i've met you several times and you know we've been in passing but uh like i i don't think that i ever thought like that guy never shuts up <laughs> But I think it went well. It was nice to talk to you. Had a nice time. Thanks. That's it. That's it. That's the show. That was Ira. I think we did all right. All right. Thanksgiving. Enter with an open heart, but not too open. It's going to cause you trouble. And again, remember that we're all fragile and that some people are not going to be around forever. Let's try to look at the good, eat some good food. And if we're going to lose our shit, let's try to make it as brief as possible. All right? We can only do what we can do. 
But if you feel it happening, maybe get out, take a walk, take a breather. If you don't catch it in time, be quick to the apology. If it's not your fault, just carry it with you for a year <laughs> and deal with it next year. All right? Uh, what else have I got to tell you? Okay, yeah, WTFPod.com uh, is the site. You can go there, get on the mailing list, leave a comment, see what's up. You know, check the episode guide, get Howl, the new app with our uh, archive. The remixes that we used on uh, today's show were, were by uh, DJ Copley. You can find him uh, on Twitter at uh, WebPuppy45. Our theme music is by John Montagna. And, uh, and you know, take it easy, all right? Happy holidays. Do the thing. Should we play some guitar? I, got, I can play. <laughs> 